Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. I'm your host, Dennis Ackerman, with the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe in Podcast Network, your home for everything silver and black. I've got a special guest today. He's a friend, former colleague, and one of the best reporters in the business, Steve Weitz from the NFL Network. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Dennis, thanks for having me. This is great. Good to talk about Raiders, little one of the biggest brands in the NFL, relocating to uh, to Vegas. Could be an interesting season, man. It is indeed. Hey, before we talk Raiders, I kind of just want to talk NFL and football in general. Uh, Tuesday night, uh, Hard Knocks kind of led us behind the scenes with the Rams and the Chargers. All the protocols and the guidelines set up with these teams that they have to follow is the coronavirus pandemic. What are your thoughts on it, and what do you think about it? Well, I mean, first of all, they, they have to do it. If, if you're going to have try to have healthy players and coaches and staffers, the testing is, is important, the contact tracing that they're doing, right? So they're making all these players wear this chip. It's a tile. Somehow, so if they're around somebody for more than like 10 minutes within six feet, this thing goes off like you guys got to back up. Um, but, you know, I spent some time with the Rams. They brought me into their facility before anybody arrived to show me everything that they have to do. It is amazing. Besides, you know, the lockers being spaced out and, you know, only two players in the cold tub at a time, which normally holds like seven 300-pound players, some of the very simple things that a lot of us are having to do at our workplaces and whatnot, getting your temperature taken every time you enter a building. These players have to get the nasal swab, the COVID test. Every the players, coaches, anybody coming into the building have to get this done. Um, you know, I had to go down to the Chargers because uh, I'm going to be covering their training camp to go ahead and get a, a nasal test. I've got to have two negative tests and, you know, ahead of time, 72 hours ahead of time, and then a third negative before I'm allowed to cover them. And I will have no interaction uh, with anybody there. All of our interviews and things are going to be done via, you know, web conference. So it's, it's so over the top in terms of the safety measures these teams are taking, and they will differ from team to team. For example, the Rams, because of the wonderful Southern California weather, they're able to put this massive circus-like tent with no walls up it covers about two thirds of their parking lot. So they can have all of their meetings there or social distancing, airflow, um, things like this. So they can really limit potential spread. You know, you're not gonna be able to do that in New Orleans because it's 12 million degrees. So the saints are, are practicing indoors. Um, so that it's a lot different, a lot. Some of the things that they do will be different than what the Rams are doing, but they all have to meet a certain baseline. But the biggest thing, Dennis, they have to teach these players a way of life that becomes second nature because not everybody, not all these players live in the market where they play. Right. So all summer long, if you live, let's say in the Southeast part of the country, well, they're not necessarily taking it as serious, seriously as people who live out here in in California, right. Some of the measures. So regardless of if you believe it's a hoax or if you think this is a death sentence, if you catch this, this virus, they've got these teams have got to make sure everybody understands the certain way they're going to do it with their teams. And again, over and over repetition until it becomes second nature. And a lot of this behavior is going to continue well beyond this intense COVID scenario that this country, well, this world is in, I should say. Steve, let's hope we get through training camp. Uh, No preseason games this year. 
Uh, we can get to the regular season without any breakouts like Major League Baseball right. has experienced. In terms of the media, what kind of access in terms of like post game are you going to have to players and to coaches? Because I can't imagine those locker rooms are going to be open for you guys. Well, one thing when it comes to players, training camp during the season, the one thing that was negotiated in the NFL and the NFLPA is there will be no face-to-face -face interviews with players. So post game, they'll probably do like you're seeing with the NBA. They'll put a player in an area with the scrim behind him, and we're all talking to him by Zoom. So there's not going to be like any of these breakout exclusives unless you can get your you know, player or a coach or someone on the phone, which is another way they're going to do things. You know, if I, if I need to get in touch with a position coach, um, if I don't have a contact with that coach, then maybe the team will arrange for me to do that. Now, stadiums are going to be different than what training camp, right? So training camp, there's different levels where we're going to be positioned to see these guys in different ways. But again, no interaction. Some teams will have coaches 15 feet away, and we can have some type of press conference that way. But almost every team is doing it via Zoom. Um, some teams are requiring the media to get tested. Other teams are not because there's not just going to be anywhere, any type of interaction where it's just, it's just not going to happen in terms of potential spread with anybody uh, in the building. But games are going to be different. Some teams are going to have the media maybe sitting in the suites that will be unoccupied. Um, press boxes will be limited. Um, other teams may have you sitting in the stands if there's no uh, fans in the stands. So it will be different. All the measures will be taken uh, for, you know, safety precautions. So there's just no interaction with anybody. And then sidelines. We're watching games on TV. There's going to be so many fewer people on the sidelines uh, that you, you know, than you normally see during the regular season. Um, it's it's going to be different. And you better believe, again, once this kind of calms down or there's a vaccine or whatever, some teams are going to do everything they can to keep the media away like they're doing this season. <laughs> Another thing I found interesting about Hard Knocks is they're focused on two teams, both based here in Los Angeles, the Chargers and the Rams. You and I both live in Southern California. And you can make the case, Steve, that the Raiders are still the most popular team here. I'm from the Bay Area. There are media outlets still up there covering the team, although they've now relocated to Las Vegas. Can you just speak to the brand, the overall brand of the Raiders? You can drive around Los Angeles and you probably see more – you know, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to hate here. I'm just being put on my, my reporter observation goggles. You're going to see more Raiders gear than Chargers gear and probably more Raiders gear than Rams gear, even though the Rams have, have done a really good job of, of grassroots establishment from the time that they arrived. Um, but, yeah, I mean, here, there's, there's a couple things when it comes to the Rams and Chargers. Take away Aaron Donald and seriously name me a player on either team who's among the top 25 most popular players in the NFL. I'm not talking about great players like Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram and, and, and Jalen Ramsey, but just like in terms of popular. So you don't have that star power, right? Then you don't have a hot shot rookie. Yes, the Chargers have Justin Herbert, who was a sixth overall pick. There's no talk about him. I mean, we're talking about Tua, the fifth overall pick. We're talking about Joey Burrow, the first overall pick, but there's no conversation. <laughs> the Raiders have John Gruden. They've got Derek Carr, who came out and said, I feel disrespected. A big make or break year you know, for Derek. And then you just have the overall Raider brand. You know, you've got some of us who still live in the 60s and 70s and the 80s and those great Raiders teams. And you got more, you know, the newer generation is like the disaster of a Raiders team. They just haven't really done much, but they still are the brand. They are the silver and black. No matter who you talk to, no matter where in the country, people understand 
that that's the marauder, the pirate with the patch on the eye and a leather helmet on and Al Davis. So the brand is what it is. I mean, you, you, you can go, I'm telling you, you go to several cities throughout the country, not just Southern California and the Raiders, the Raiders nation is, is among the deepest, you know, you've got the Steelers, you've got the Packers, Cowboys. you've got the Raiders and you got the Cowboys. And it's, it's, it's going to be like that just because it's generations of, of branding and success that those were the four big dynasties, you know, for so many generations. Steve, you mentioned Gruden earlier, and I'd like to talk more about him now. He's in his third season, and in his first tenure with the Raiders, they had a breakout season in his third season. They went 12-4, and four, won the AFC West, and advanced to the AFC title game. Now, you and I were at his press conference when he came back to the Raiders after being out of coaching for a decade. So how would you assess the job he's done so far? I don't think he got in this, you know, outdated vacuum. I mean, the one thing you're, you're hearing, and no one's saying the game's passed John Gruden by. He's very much – because remember a lot of the stuff what he did with the West Coast offense and a lot of this, the stuff he did when he was coaching previously, those are the, those are the foundation for almost every team in the NFL now. I mean, look at the great coaches. He coached with them. You're talking about Mike McCarthy and Andy Reid and, and all that, that, that was, that's his peer group. So that part is fine. The, 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 the tough thing for the Raiders, and we've seen it over and over, no matter how much talent they have this year, the relocation aspect cannot be overlooked. Even though they're not moving far, they're moving. So you've got people in the building whose families might still be in the Bay because of this pandemic. They don't want to bring them to Vegas. So they're going to be isolated that way. They've got to get used to a new stadium and new living space and just being becoming familiar in a place where it is blazing hot right now. Like they can't do anything outside. It may seem minuscule, but even when the Chargers move from San Diego to L.A., that is disruptive. So it really it really does affect, you know, what you do football-wise because you've just got so many other things going on. So Gruden can get his players to compartmentalize. And this is where having a veteran team in certain areas is huge. I mean, Derek Carr is going to have to have his best season. He's got – well, I won't say his best season. He's going to have to have a very good season. He's got a great offensive line. He's got a great running back, right? They've gotten him some receivers. They've got some tight ends. The defense, we still don't know. But it's, you know, this, I don't know if it's a make or break year, but for two years we've been wondering, what are the Raiders? Who, who are the Raiders? Like, what type of, are they a tough team? Are they a finesse team? We don't know. This is the year to establish who and what the Raiders are. And again, you cannot look past the ancillary stuff of a relocation because we've seen it over and over. That is a very difficult thing for people to navigate through. See, because there was no offseason, we have no preseason games. And because of the move, are they kind of behind the eight ball a little bit compared to the other teams then? Uh, I, I don't know in terms of, you know, personnel. You know, they, they had a good draft. You know, they – to some degree, because, I mean, look, they, they probably couldn't move people Right. As soon as possible. Right. If you, if you have a regular off season, those players are in Vegas They're in that facility in April. Right. So now a lot of them just got there a month ago. So you, you do have that element. And I know people there again, whose families are going to stay in the Bay area while they're working remotely. So, so, I mean, again, there, you, you've got, you've got that there, but I, I don't think football wise, they're necessarily on unequal footing 
compared to everyone else because a lot of teams are going through this. Look at how many teams are changing quarterbacks. Right. Look at how many starting quarterbacks moved. At least there's the stability of having Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs in this great offensive line and your coaching and front office staff together. So, yes, there's upheaval, but at least in that football pocket, they do have, you know, some consistency going on there. You mentioned some veterans. One of the interesting signings I think they had in the offseason was tight end Jason Witten because I thought that was an area of strength last year for the Raiders with Darren Waller, who had 90 catches for over 1,000 yards, and then you had the rookie Foster Moreau, uh, who had five touchdown catches before he got injured. What role do you see Witten playing uh, with the Raiders? Because he's at the tail end of his career, Steve. Yeah, don't call me crazy, but he's going to have to make the final 53. I, I don't think he's guaranteed a spot. Um, he's going to have to make this team. And we consider and say he's a great leader for these guys, this or that. Sometimes at this point of his career, you don't need that. The, the Raiders need to win ball games, And if they think he is good enough to function in whatever role as a blocker, as somebody who can come in and, and really be a valuable receiver in, in these types of scenarios, that's fine. But you talk to some people and they're like, hey, man, Jason, last couple of years, you had to get a tugboat to get him off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, again, he's going to have to earn his way, but I think he'll do it just because I, I know how hard he works. I think they'll find a way to emphasize his strengths. Um, he'll be a rotational guy. Look, depth is of, no, is of the greatest element ever in the NFL this year because, you, because of COVID, because of injuries. So I, I think he will be a valuable player. You know, it's just the one thing when you carry older veterans in these types of scenarios is, you know, Jason Witten's not going to be on the kickoff coverage team. So, you know, so special teams, if it's something where you've got to have someone who's valuable in that role, he can be, he can be a casualty. So I think he's, I think he will earn a roster spot, but I don't think anything's going to be given to him. How do you see the AFC West playing out this year? I mean, obviously Kansas city is the top dog, but uh, what about the rest of the division? You know, this is an interesting division. I had a lot of conversations about this because the chiefs clearly the cream of the crop. They're the team. Them and the Ravens are the two teams to beat in the AFC this year. But if the Raiders' defense can stop teams in, in, from scoring, Big good if. God, I mean, that's a huge if. They've got a shot to make the playoffs. It's, it's interesting. I look, I look at this division. The Chargers have the second-best overall talent. I mean, they're really pushing the Chiefs when it comes to overall talent. Ty Taylor's their quarterback, though. We've seen this happen before. You love Ty, you love Ty, and after six games, Ty gets replaced because you've got all these explosive weapons. You've got Keenan Allen. You've got Mike Williams. You've got, you know, Hunter Henry. You know, all these guys who can really catch passes and do this and that, and they're playing safe football. You've got a great defense. That's, that's going to work to a degree, but at some point, you got to score points. So – the Chargers, I think, are the, are the second-best team. It's them and, and their Raiders. But I got to tell you, something about this Broncos team has got my antennas up. Drew Locke came in for five games last year. I think he was 4-1. and one. They played good football. They got Melvin Ingram. They are going to pound the football with him and Phillip Lindsay. If they can get this defense in order, um, I, I think, you know, Von Miller, Chubb coming off that knee injury, we know they've got the guys on the edge. Their secondary, Justin Simmons is one of the best safeties in the NFL. This is a this is the team. There's two teams no one's talking about that I think could get that that sixth or seventh playoff spot. In the NFC, it's Atlanta, and the AFC, I think it's Denver. They just for some reason, in the way they played with Drew Locke and that savvy, 
I've got my eye out. So to make a long story short, like the Chiefs and the Chargers as the top two teams, with the Raiders being a threat and the Broncos being the dark horse. Yeah, you mentioned we have the extra playoff team uh, with the third wild card uh, this year. So, hey, you talking uh, earlier about the Raiders, the nostalgia from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. kind of want to go back to that. I was just randomly going through Twitter, and Al Davis, late owner of the Raiders, just in today's landscape with social justice being at the forefront, how far ahead he was of the game compared to everyone else. I mean, Steve, you look at 1969, he drafted the first black quarterback ever in the first round, Eldridge Dickey out of Tennessee State. 1979, he hires the first Latino coach, Tom Flores. 1989, first black coach, Art Shell, And then he hires the first woman executive, Amy Trask. I mean, just so far ahead of the game compared to everybody else. Yeah, light years, uh, you know, light years ahead. And one thing about Art Shell, and this is, I'm just nitpicking here, the first black Super Bowl, the first black coach in the Super Bowl era, Fritz Pollard actually coached in the 20s. So that's a name I want everybody to remember since we're talking social justice. Sure. This. So, but Al Davis, I mean, he was, he was the Jetsons when the NFL were the Flintstones. And for when for people who don't know, I'm referring to some 1970s cartoons of Flintstones were prehistoric dinosaur times and the Jetsons were flying around in spaceships. And I say that because you just talked about a lot of those achievements. Al didn't care, man, right? When he was the commissioner of the AFL, he hired the first black game officials. So it didn't matter. As long as you could do the job, he could care less. And, and it worked. I mean, they won ball games. They, they won championships. And nobody was really talking about that stuff because it was just second nature to Art Shell. And then you had teams like the Chiefs with Lamar Hunt, another AFL team who really got into the black colleges. And they hired Lloyd Wells, you know, as a scout to get, you know, had the pipeline, um, you know, to the black colleges. And, you know, the same with Bill Nunn and the Steelers and then Gil Brandt with the Cowboys. These are the teams that were really rich into, into going to these historically black colleges and universities and finding talent. But Al Davis, you know, people didn't like him because he, he, he did not give a damn. And, you know, you look back, especially what's going on in society today, and he was a trailblazer. He was a pioneer. Um, and I think that's because he did give a damn about making sure everybody was treated equally if they were capable. You know, I think it's a shame because I think a lot of people remember him towards the tail end when he – you know, he had gotten older, and he was a lot of bad drafts by the Raiders, some questionable free agent signings. And unfortunately, I think that's the way a lot of people remember him. Did you ever meet him and any stories that you could share with us? Well, I met, I met Al several times. Um, I think one of, the, one of the more interesting things, and this was talking about towards the end, but I was at an owner's meeting, uh, and Lane Kiffin was the head coach. <laughs> we know how that turned out. Oh, man. So Lane came in. And he's just killing Jamarcus Russell. We're all sitting there like, like, you know, how's Jamarcus looking? Oh, he's about 280, about the same size as our, you know, left tackle. I'm just crushing him. We're like, what's going on here? So we see Al later, and, you know, Al is like, what? You know, this, so, you, you know, Al was very much like, this is not going to end well for Lane. Oh. Um, but, you know, I just think back at some of the other times, you get owners meetings, you know, like in the 90s, he would show up at his white, uh, you know, I won't say sweatsuit, but kind of like that vinyl suit he used to rock. And just so smooth and had an aura of whatever. And so many other owners were like, oh, because he was different. You know, he, he carried himself in a way where he's non-establishment. 
Um, we know the NFL is the most establishment of all the pro sports. And he would just sit down and count. Say, Mr. Davis, you got time? Sure, I, I got a couple of minutes. And the next, you know, 100 reporters are gathered around because, wow, it's Al Davis, right? He had a mystique that just no other owner really had. You know, it's kind of that like Jerry Jones aura now. Um, right, that's but, what I was going to ask you. Because he, he kind of took Jerry under his wing, didn't he, a little bit when Jerry bought the Cowboys yep. back in 89? Yep, because you remember Jerry came in, he was like, okay, so the NFL's got this brand sponsor as a league. Well, I'm going to go to their their opposition to have them as a brand sponsor in my stadium or or with my club. And I dare you to, you know, to wrinkle my, you know, wrinkle the, the feathers. And so, you know, that that was part of it. But, I mean, just the fact you talk about Amy Trask and, and Art Shell, you know, and we're seeing guys, you know, some, from that era, some of the greats like Willie Brown, uh, who was just a wonderful man. Um, and some of these guys start to die off, you know, and, and I was tight with Willie and a lot of these people. And, you know, I, I deal with Art Shell a lot for the Black College Football Hall of Fame. He's a board member and I do a lot of stuff with them. And, you know, the things that they will tell you that, that Art Shell did and how much he, he did for their lives and how much he helped people and players when they were down in their luck and whatnot. You know, you hear all the stories about how awful he could be to people, but when you hear the stories about how wonderful he was to people, um, you know, I don't know if it balanced things out, whatever, but you realize, again, when it came to recognizing human beings, being human beings, um, everybody got a chance to earn their way with him. And if you did, he loved you. If you didn't, that's an L you don't want to take, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Great stuff. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast today. It was wonderful to have you on. It was good to tell some stories and get some inside information on what the season's going to look like. And always, always great to talk Raiders. So thank you very much for, for joining me today. You're the best, Dan. Appreciate you. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for this edition of the Raiders Believe in Podcast on the Believe in Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.